worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. Light of the world. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. So here I am to worship. great to be back again this week. Our call to worship comes from 1 John 1 through 4. And it reads, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. 
Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. It's because Jesus came to the earth and he died on our behalf that he is worthy of his name.
as we continue in 1 John 1, we see this message and we are reminded again of why Christ is worthy. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, because Jesus became the man of sorrows, we are cleansed from all sin and are made children of God. Let's sing this song together. Sorrows. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus' name. Silence. cross. Sing it out. And all that rugged cross, my salvation, where your blood poured out over me. And now my soul cries out, blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the sun sets free, oh, it's free. And sing that once more.
stone is rolled away, behold the empty said before, it's because of that glorious sacrifice that we are now children of God. Sunset's free. Ooh, 
a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And yes, we are, brothers and sisters. Be seated reflecting upon that truth as Pastor Demi comes to lead us in prayer to our glorious Savior. Let me read to us from Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Let's go to the Lord and and pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being, for receiving the baptism into death, for receiving the death that should have been ours because of our sins and offenses against God. We thank you also because Through our faith in you, we are baptized into that same death and also share in that same newness of life that you have. 
we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful union that we share with you through the abiding Holy Spirit of God that, that, that resides in each and every one of us. We thank you, Lord, because not only is your death our death, but your righteousness is also our righteousness. So we thank you, Father, for sending your Son to be the one through whom we receive salvation. And as Ephesians 2 tells us that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, all because of the wonderful union we share with Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that as we share this union with you, we pray that your church may be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you communicate more of your holiness, more of your righteousness into our hearts. Help us by your Spirit to walk in the same manner that you did. Help us, Lord, change our affections, our hearts, our minds, so that they become more and more like Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray also for those in our midst who are suffering and going through various trials and situations, Lord, things that are difficult, things that they feel are too much for them to carry. Lord, would you use these situations to conform them more into your glorious image? Would you help them and strengthen them and be with them and teach them and draw near to them? And may they seek you as their greatest joy and satisfaction. May they find rest in you. And may they learn also how to persevere just as Christ persevered through the cross. Father, we pray for the International Mission Board and we pray for them as they continue to mobilize the church and send out missionaries across the globe. Father, we pray that you would give them great wisdom and insight and great provision. We pray, Father, for our missionaries, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them the boldness of the apostles to continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you help their families as well and take care of them and bless them? Father, we pray for, specifically for the, the people of Mali, Guinea. We pray during, especially during this time of, of Father's Day as they commemorate this, this, this time. And as fathers are much more open to spiritual conversations, Father, we pray that you would soften hearts, that you would be with the, the church, with those who are there, and help them to proclaim the gospel. We pray for the, the so-called gatekeepers, who are the heads of homes, who are the heads of villages, who are the teachers of communities and villages. Lord, would you save these individuals? so that their students may be saved, so that family members will be saved, so that villagers would be saved. So we pray, Father, for a great outpouring of your Spirit as the gospel is preached among these particular people. Father, we pray for FBC Hampton Falls, and we pray that you would bless them and keep them. Lord, would you conform your church to the image of Christ, even during this time of pandemic? Would you bless them and help the, the pastors and elders and give them wisdom? Fill your church with your spirit. 
Father, we pray for our country. We pray specifically for the churches who are in these most uh, turbulent cities, such as Minneapolis and Washington, D.C., where they see just an, a, a, an outbreak of, of violence and anger. Lord, would you help and strengthen these churches? Would you give pastors the insights and the, and the wise words and the encouragement that comes from the gospel to comfort their people, to comfort those who are, are scared and are struggling? Father, would you use your church in those places, Lord, to speak the words of the gospel, to bring comfort to all those who are, who are in fear? Lord, we pray for a restoration of stability, for a quietness, for a stillness to pervade our, our nation. Give wisdom, Lord, to our leaders to know how to protect people, that they would not play favorites, but you, that they would exercise their leadership and their responsibilities with fairness and with justice. Father, in, in this time, Lord, as we, as we celebrate our fathers, Lord, we pray, we pray for, for all parents, for fathers, for mothers, for those who are spiritual parents. Lord, we, we thank you for each and every one of them. We thank you for the lessons we've learned. We thank you for the 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 skills that have been transferred to us. We thank you for the life lessons, the wisdom that we have gleaned from them. Lord, would you bless all parents? Would you bless specifically those who are, who are still have, have children in the home and strengthen them and, and help them and give them wisdom, Lord, on how to raise their children, give them all that they need to, to train them up in the fear and instruction of the Lord? Help them, Lord, as they figure things out for their future with terms of schooling and what that looks like. And would you provide the wisdom that they need? And Lord, we pray that you would, that you would save our children. Save all our kids, God. Whether they are here or could not be here because of the quarantine, or for those parents, Lord, who have children outside, of, who are outside and are, are grown adults but are not saved yet, Lord, save our kids. Soften their hearts and draw them to Jesus Christ and use us, Lord, to continue to proclaim the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for these things. We lift these things up to you. And we want to conclude our time with the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would please turn to John chapter 15. John 15, we'll pick it up in verse 1, read down to verse 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Father, we thank you for your divinely inspired word. We pray that you would use this word to draw us into greater fellowship, into greater communion, and even greater union with Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Friends. That is how Jesus identifies his followers as friends. And we are friends of Christ because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Right? He died for us so that through him, through our faith in him, we might receive forgiveness of our sins and eternal life so that we then can be called friends of God. And according to the passage, two things are required for us to be called or identified as friends. The first is that we follow the commandments of the Lord, right? If you say you love him, but then you are going to do what he commands. And also, that he reveals to us what is the will of God. He reveals to us the, the, his, the, the mysteries hidden for ages that now revealed in Jesus Christ. Right, in a relationship between a, a master and a servant, the master does not have to tell the servant everything, but only he, gives him, he only gives him commands. But the, that relationship becomes something different when the servant then becomes the ear of the master. When the master discloses to the servant his will, his desires, he becomes transparent and discloses to him the reasons behind he makes certain decisions. The servant is no longer a servant, but the servant becomes a friend of the master. And so we are friends of Jesus. And in this passage, Jesus reveals to us some things that he wants us to know. And he describes them to them, he describes them to us as a, more, as, a, as a metaphor. A metaphor that is intended to communicate to us just how he views and how we should see our relationship with Jesus Christ. He says that he is the true vine. Isaiah 
think it's chapter 5, the people of Israel is described as the vine of God. And the judgment of the Lord comes when the vine is producing no more fruit. And Jesus says that he is the true vine, that he is the vine that has replaced Israel, the vine that will produce fruit as the branches abide in him. And so that's how he describes our relationship with him. And in this metaphor, we see first the pruning of the vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in the vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. It is the job of the vine dresser to protect, to nourish, and to prune the vine. You could also say that it is the job of the vine dresser to beautify the vine. And I'm certainly no expert when it comes to, to gardening. I mean, I've just only started gardening. But if you know anything about gardening or tending to your lawn, then you know that it can become a pretty tedious process and even a laborious process. Again, Jesus describes himself as the true vine and God as the, as the vine dresser. Now, the vine doesn't have it easy either, right? The vine has to produce fruit. It has to grow. But I would argue that, it's the, that the job of the vine dresser is harder than the job of the vine because for the most part, the vine just sits there, right? It just receives the nourishment. It's protected by the vine dresser. It's watered by the vine dresser. And the vine, right, doesn't plant itself, right? It can't plant itself. The vine dresser plants the vine. In Matthew fifteen thirteen, it says, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Right, so the heavenly Father is the one who plants the vine, but he's also the one who uproots those that are not really abiding or producing any fruit. At Romans eleven seventeen, it tells us, But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant to the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then in verse 24, For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Not only does the father plant the vine, but he also does the miraculous thing of taking the branches that might belong to a wild olive tree and graft them into a cultivated olive tree, which in this case is Jesus Christ. Right? We can't do that on our own. We don't stand on any work that we have done. God is the one who plants the vine or the olive tree, and we are grafted by God into the vine, that is Christ, through our faith in him. 
And it is the joy of the vine dresser to provide the nourishment that the vine needs. It is the joy of the heavenly vine dresser to beautify the vine by removing all the weeds that surround it, by watering it and tending to it, by removing anything, any other plant that might be competing against it for the nutrients of the soil. And it's also the joy of the heavenly vine dresser, as difficult as it might be to accept, to take the vine through the painful process of pruning. Pruning is a painful but necessary process. Right, pruning is what promotes the health of the vine or the plant. Right, I have four rose bushes in my home, and every year I have to prune it. Right, it's a tedious process, especially because they get bigger each and every year. And pruning requires you to remove what is dead, the buds, the branches, the stem. Right, and if I skip this process, what will happen is that it, it makes the, the rose bushes much more liable to disease and attract uh, pests, right? Just as a, a corpse attracts worms and maggots, right? The, the dead only attract those things that only contribute to its own decomposition and their own destruction. And so it has to be taken through this difficult process of pruning. But every year, right towards the end of spring, towards the beginning of summer, those rose bushes, because I've taken through the process of pruning, they bloom and they blossom and they're vibrant and they're so full. The pruning instrument of the Lord is essential for bearing fruit. And we can take this in two different ways. We can take this in a much more individual and personal way that the Lord prunes us in our personal lives and, and He does. There are times when the shears of the Lord will come and to prune your heart perhaps because there might be some deadness in it that has to be removed. Sometimes that can come through a gentle rebuke. I think primarily that comes through the word, whether it's through the sermon, whether it's your own reading of the scriptures. Sometimes it can be different trials, circumstances, and even suffering. And in those times, right, we might be tempted to think, that, you know, does the Lord hate me? But it's not that the Lord hates you, has stopped loving you. He does it because he loves you. Because he wants you to produce more fruit. And the only way that you will produce more fruit than you have before is if you're pruned. A biblical counselor named David Paulison used this, this illustration where he would take a, a water bottle, plastic water bottle, remove the lid, and there's water in the bottle, and he, he would twist it and bend it and shake it, and then water would be all over the floor, of course. And then he would ask, why is there water on the floor? And people would answer, well, because you shook the bottle and you twisted it and you spilled it all over the floor. And he would say, no, that's not why there's water on the floor. There's water on the floor because there was water in the bottle. And what he's trying to say is that the situations and the trials that we go through in life, the, when the Lord takes us through a season of pruning, that doesn't make us sinful, but those situations are, show what's already in your heart. And the Lord means to reveal that, to bring that to surface so that you're aware and because he wants to remove it from your life. Because he wants you to bear fruit. Now, another way that we can take this is not just personal, individual way, but corporately. 
Because let's remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And his disciples would be, would go on to be the apostles, and the apostles would be the ones who lay the groundwork for Christ's church. They are representative of Christ's church. And so his words to the disciples are the words of Jesus to his church. And the Lord prunes his church as well. And when he prunes, that might be a removal of certain things, certain systems, certain programs. It might even be a removal of certain persons. Now, it's not our job to try to figure out who those individuals are. It's not our place. We trust in the sovereignty of the Lord. We trust that God loves his people and that God loves his church. And that ultimately when the Lord takes us, that takes the church through a pruning process, he's doing it for the good of his church. And we continue to preach the gospel. We continue to invite people to come to our services, especially those who have never heard the gospel before or those who don't believe in Jesus Christ. And we invite them and we, we encourage them to continue to attend for as long as they are comfortable attending. But the Lord brings whomever he wills and the Lord removes whomever he wills. And case in point is Judas. Judas was a part of the twelve. Judas was one of the branches. But there's a big difference between being connected to the vine and abiding in the vine. A branch can be connected to the vine but producing no fruit. But a vine, but a branch that is abiding in the vine produces fruit. Right? And Judas, well, we all know, was not producing fruit. And every year that I, I prune my, my rose bushes, whatever I get done, I, I'm always thinking the same thing. Wow, this looks really, really bare. It looks a lot smaller than it did before. And I'm always wondering, I'm always questioning, is it going to grow? Is it going to produce anything? Is it going to be vibrant and full? I, I think this is on its last year. But every time, every single year, I'm pleasantly surprised for whatever reason. I'm always surprised because it not only produces new buds, but it also produces new growth. And then it becomes this full and luscious and vibrant rose bush. There are seasons that the Lord takes his church where he prunes the church so that it produces more fruit. And there will also be a season because of that pruning that the, Lord, that the church will produce much more fruit than it did before. All because the Lord takes his church through that difficult process. And sometimes pruning requires you to prune those bushes that are healthy. Sometimes a vine, or let's say a blueberry bush, becomes so big and so, and, and so full that in order to keep it producing, well, you have to prune it. And now some gardeners may even decide to propagate the bush. So they might take some stems and through this process, they might transplant it elsewhere by just taking some of those vines or some of those branches so that in this other area of the field, it will produce new growth in a new blueberry bush. Sometimes the Lord will prune his church and even remove those branches that are producing fruit and transplant them elsewhere into a different ministry, into different contracts, into a different church for whatever reason so that they may continue to bear more fruit. And so, as a church, we rejoice 
in this pruning process, as difficult as it is, because we know that the Lord loves us and because we know that ultimately it is for our good and it's so that we may continue to bear more fruit. So pruning is a very good thing. Secondly, as the branches of the vine, we must continue abiding in the vine. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Disciples of Jesus keep Jesus' words. I mean, how else are we to show our love for Jesus Christ when he is not physically present with us to seek him out and to be with him and to show him the adoration that he deserves like Mary did with her expensive perfume? If we, will lo- if we love Christ, then we will be obedient to Christ. Right? When couples, couples are temporarily distanced from one another because of, say, travel responsibilities related to work, how do they remain faithful to one another? By keeping the marriage covenant. By being obedient in that sense and not pursuing other lovers. Our keeping of Jesus' words is not only how we show that we indeed love our Lord Jesus Christ, but according to the passage, it is the means by which we also remain in his love. In 1 John, in 1 John, I think, I'm convinced it's sort of a, 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 a further explanation and elaboration on John 15. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. As I said, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Jesus, John is saying, basically, that it is hypocritical for one to say that I love God and yet not keep his word. If anyone claims to love God but fails to keep his commandments, then that person does not know God, much less do they know God's will, and much less do they know God's love in Christ. There are many people who will refuse to come to Jesus, to entrust their life to him, simply because they consider the Christian life as a joyless life because of the restrictions of Christ's commandments. But here in the passage, Jesus actually tells us that to follow him and to obey him flees to a fullness of joy. The Lord wants you to have joy. The joy that Jesus has and a fullness of joy. The joy that Jesus has comes from his receiving the love of the Father and returning or reflecting that love back to him. The joy of Jesus Christ comes from his following the commandments of the Lord perfectly. Right? It's a similar pleasure that there is between a relationship between parent and children. Right? So when the little girl is commanded to do something by her mother, and she says, look, mom, I did what you asked me to. Look, mom, I, did the, I, I cleaned the table. Look, mom, I cleaned this up. And the parent affirms her daughter. And so the daughter is, is pleased is made happy by the parents' affirmation of their doing what they were called or they were told to do. Right? It's the same way. 
right, as, as friends of Jesus Christ, as children of God, why we desire to bring pleasure to our Heavenly Father. And that is what gives us joy, and it gives us joy when the Lord loves us in return, and we are affirmed in what we do. Anyone who says that the Christian life is a joyless life says it because they do not know the love of God or do not have God as their father. The joy that we receive from the Lord comes from our bearing much fruit because we know that that's what he desires of us and our desire is to please him. Right? It is our joy to bring honor to the vine dresser because we know that he wants to see his vine flourish and prosper and produce so much fruit. Right? It brings us delight and it brings him delight. This joy not only comes from our having God, this joy comes to us not only because we have God as our Father through Jesus Christ, but also, and this is the last point, but also through our union with the vine that is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Twice in the passage, we're told that we ask, if we ask whatever we wish, he will be given to us. It's not the first time that Jesus said it. In John 14, 14, Jesus said this for the first time. Now, we spent some time talking about that before, so I won't spend too much time explaining it here, but I'll make some, com some comments as it relates to the passage. So this passage teaches us the doctrine of, the, of union with Christ. More specifically, our communion with Christ. The Puritan John Owen wrote a book titled Communion with God. And he defines communion in this way. He says, it denotes not merely the interchange of feeling between God and his gracious character and a soul in a gracious state, but the gracious relationship upon which this holy interchange is based so communion with God, essentially what he is saying is our relationship with God, where we have God as a gracious father who has loved us when we were unlovable. And in response, right, we, we receive that love and we respond to that love through faith in Jesus Christ. And, in this, and this provides for us a, a relationship through Jesus Christ. And in that relationship, right, there is an interchange of feelings, of love, of intimacy, of fellowship. It's a relationship that we mutually enjoy. And the point is that Christ is the means through whom we have this union with Jesus Christ and we have communion with him and with God. What happens in this union with Christ is, where we, is that we enjoy having this fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we enjoy this relationship with Jesus Christ and with God, something transformative happens in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. And that is that their will is conformed to the will of Jesus Christ. That their hearts are changed, that their mind is transformed, that their, that their affections, that their tendencies, that their habits, everything about them begins to be conformed gradually, progressively into the same image of Jesus Christ. So I'm, 
I'm a techie. I love tech stuff. I just out of because I delight in it because I enjoy I watch YouTube videos of reviews of tech stuff of stuff that I will never be able to afford in my life. Now, I'm not as much as much as I enjoy that stuff. I'm not going to pray to the Lord that the Lord would give me that stuff. Why not? Because quite frankly, I think the Lord could care less about giving me that stuff. Because the scriptures tell me that what Christ desires of me is that I would be more conformed to the image of Christ. That I would become more holy. That I would be sanctified. Now, if the latest iPhone would make me more like Jesus Christ, yeah, maybe he might give it to me, but more, actually, most, probably it's not going to make me more like Christ, but make me less like Christ. Jesus, or God the Father, wants to give to you everything that you need to be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. That is his goal, to the glory of his name. And so what happens, right, what happens when we enjoy this relationship with Jesus Christ and our will and our desires and our affections begin to be conformed more to the image of Christ is that what we desire are the same things that God desires. So if God's desire is that I be conformed to the image of Christ, then that's what I want as well. If God's desire for me is that I will be, become more holy, then that's my desire as well. That's what happens when we are abiding in the vine that is Christ. When we have this wonderful union and communion with our Heavenly Father. We want whatever He wants. And we say, let, Lord, let your will be done and not mine. Now, verse 17 gives us the imperative of the passage. These things I command you, that you will love one another. Progressively, Jesus has, has kind of led to this last statement. He said, abide in me. How do we abide in you? By keeping my commandments. By this, you show that you, that you love me. Now, keeping his commandments is keeping all of his word. But more specifically, here in the passage... It means loving one another as Christ has loved us. That is his commandment. That is his will for us. He wants us to love one another. That is how we remain abiding in the love of Jesus Christ. In fact, our love for one another shows the, 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 the depth of our union with Christ. The more united you are to Christ, the more that you will love the brethren that you will love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is how we produce more fruit. Right? It doesn't come from ourselves. It comes through the abiding Holy Spirit in us. And we have a certainty that we will bear fruit. Because he says, I, you did not choose me, but I chose you that you bear fruit. There's a certainty that you will bear fruit because you have been chosen to bear fruit. And it is also at the same time up to you and I to continue remaining or abiding in the vine so that we may continue to bear more fruit. And so as the church, we have this wonderful union with God through Jesus Christ. And the goal is that we continue to bear more fruit and we bear more fruit. And one way that we, one way that we do that is by loving one another well. It's easy to say, I love you. But how does the person next to you or in front of you or behind you know that you love them? 
besides your words. Right? Let us not only love in word, but also let us love in deed and in action. Let it be evident to the world. Let it be evident to one another by our actions that we do indeed love one another because this is how we bear fruit and remain abiding in the vine to the glory of God. And so we need to ask ourselves, how well are we loving our brothers and sisters? And that determines the, the degree of our union with Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the wonderful union we have with you that you have made possible through the cross. Help us to uh, continue to abide in you. Help us to remain in you. Help us to love one another as you have called us to. And help us to bear more fruit, Lord. May that be our desire as a church and for us personally. Conform us more and more to the image of Christ. Loosen our attachments to the world. Loosen our attachments to sin so that we may love Jesus more and so that we may be more like him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing together. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. our statement of faith.
salvation and I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken and I will build my life upon your love it is a foundation and I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes and let this be your prayer and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those are holy and holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me and i will build my life upon your love it is a firm foundation and i will put my trust in you alone and i will not be shaken amen as we are come to our time of benediction be reminded of these words from John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Go forth, brothers and sisters, bearing fruit and loving one another. You are dismissed until we return again, Lord willing.